Welcome back to the Blue Line Millennial Podcast. My guest today spent six years in law enforcement, still going strong. He's lateral transferred out of California. He's probably the uh, handsomest SWAT operator on the planet. And when he knocks on your door, you might think it's a stripper, Graham. Welcome to the show, Steve. Thank you for having me. You're most welcome. New intro. Uh, I haven't done that joke with anybody yet, and I'm going to try and see what people like. <laughs> so uh, just a little bit of background. Steve and I work together. Um, we do we, we do work for the same agency. Steve is lateraled out here uh, from California to sunny Arizona. Um, and we're going to get into the nuts and bolts of what led to that decision, uh, as well as just his usual, you know, why he's here, how he got here type of thing. It's been a hell of a year. Uh, I've said it multiple times on this podcast, and I think there's a lot of officers out there, Steve, who are thinking about lateraling, and it's got to be a hard decision, man, because you've established yourself in your other agency. You've got a family, a house, kids maybe in school, and yet here you are um, just starting all over again, square one, being the new guy, um, and there's plenty of people out there who are professional new guys. So provided we don't have any continued audio issues i've been chewing into steve's uh, morning here trying to get this damn computer system to work we're going to go ahead and get started steve i ask everybody the same intro question you can have a drink with anybody living or dead who is it and why well i would say uh marcus aurelius okay uh, the former roman emperor way back when uh i i think back uh to that time and uh, at least what I hear about him as being a sort of warrior, philosopher type thing. Um, everything that I hear about him is a lot about him being sort of a, what I would call a, a very professional emperor. Um, what interests me is, is being really good at what your job is, really good at what you do. And it seems like he took very seriously being an emperor, being a, a good father, being a good uh, husband, uh, being a good general, all those things, um, which is really cool to me when he was basically the, I guess, president of the, the biggest empire at that time. Um, he was into grappling, working out. He was into philosophy and stoicism and things like that um, and was a great general. And to be able to do all that at the time um, is pretty amazing to me. And I, I sort of subscribe to that stoic philosophy of, of trying to take things as they come and I guess not sweating the small stuff. And sure. for an emperor of the Roman Empire to think about that and, and have that be foremost in his mind i'd love to just pick his brain that would be really cool do you draw a lot of uh uh inspiration as far as how you go through your life as a as a police officer and a husband and a father do you draw a lot of your inspiration from the teachings of marcus aurelius oh definitely um like i said the the professionalism that that word sort of pops out at me and i i always try and teach i guess younger guys that that come to me when they come to me that when you're a police officer, you need to be a professional. This isn't a job that, in my opinion, you can sort of go in for your shift, come home, and then be done with it. You know, there's still training that you should do. There's right. still things that you should follow up with case law and, you know, current events and things like that. You can't just 
go to work for your 10-hour shift, go home, shut it off, and be done with it. It's not that type of job. You need to be a professional about it. There's so many aspects of it that make you a good police officer that uh, it's important. And then those things sort of bleed into your your the other parts of your life. You know, if you're if you take your job seriously, I think that you're you're passionate about being a good husband. You're passionate about being a good father. You're not just going to say, "Eh, I'm a good cop," but yeah, it doesn't matter if I'm a good husband or a good father. They'll, sure, they'll get over it. Um, I think that it's important to make sure that your whole life is in order, and that makes life a whole lot less stressful because I don't like a whole lot of stress, even though I am a cop and that's sort of part of policing. But right. Right. That's just part and parcel of, uh, of, of what we do. Right. Right. Um, you know, and we talk about, uh, work life balance mm-hmm. a lot. Um, and I, I would agree with you that you do need to maintain professionalism in your career. And that does involve you, um, and this coming from somebody who plays their fair share of video games, but you can't just go home and unplug for three days. Every now and then, I, and I say three days because that's what our weekend is, is four tents and three days off. But every now and then, absolutely, you got to get up, uh, get out to the woods or out to the beach or whatever the case may be um, and, and unplug. But you need to have your physical fitness in order. You need to have, uh, you need to spend time on the range. You need to... Um, to work on, on yourself. Right. And that's going to help you, uh, I think be, uh, just that much better of a, of a law enforcement officer. I, this was going to come in into play later on in the show, but since we're already on the topic, I had asked a guy, I was on a call, uh, Tuesday and, uh, uh, uh black family. And, and, um, I think the, the male half kind of saw it going one direction. Um, and, and nobody got arrested off of it. And, mm-hmm. Um, he had, I think mom and brother on FaceTime, like the whole time that we were talking to him and I get it. I hold no, no issues with that. Um, and he and I were just ended up shooting the shit for a little while. And I asked him like, Hey man, like, how can we do better? He's like, you mean like right here, right now? I'm like, well, no, yes, but no, like just in general. And his mom actually piped up and she said, do more of that. Um, and I think that being able to do more of that is managing your stress. Cause if you go into work stressed out, right, you're going to, that's going to bleed off onto the people that you interact with throughout your day. Right. You're either going to, now some people need to have their face put into a red box DVD rental machine every now and then, cause they want to fuck around and be assholes. But, um, you're, you know, Susie Q and and just John Doe public don't, they don't need that or John Q public, whatever the saying is, they don't, (laughs) they don't need that in their lives just because you've had a shitty day. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and we'll get on to the, the stress management part, uh, but to, to take it back, let's start with Little Steve. Where did Steve come from? Well, Little Steve grew up in, in New Jersey, okay. Central Jersey. Some people would say that there is no Central Jersey. There's only North and South, but there is a Central Jersey. Um, Am I going to get hate mail? Is that, is that those like fighting words? Are uh, people from Jersey going to be hitting me up like, God damn you? <laughs> there, there might be a little bit. The, the big thing is either pork roll or... Uh, Taylor Ham. Taylor Ham. I've heard of. Okay, so let's just. You're gonna have to educate me. <laughs> what? What? What is a pork roll? What is Taylor Ham? Well, pork roll. It is pork roll. It's not Taylor Ham. It's pork roll. <laughs> Again, here comes the hate mail. <laughs> so I, I'm pretty sure pork roll is. I honestly, I guess I'm not a hundred percent sure, but it's sort of like a sausage type, lunch meat type. 
thing okay that you would griddle um and put it on a sandwich the the normal thing is uh pork roll egg and cheese on what's a, a called a quote-unquote hard roll um it's just a a roll uh in new jersey where you can get real breakfast sandwiches mm-hmm. uh, it would be a fried egg american cheese pork roll spk which is salt pepper ketchup on whatever bagel or bun that you would like i remember when we moved to california uh i went to a a bagel place and my wife asked me because that's where she's from the bay area asked me if i wanted a breakfast sandwich i said oh yeah uh, i'll do bacon egg and cheese thinking that it would be like new jersey my how wrong you were i it was probably one of the worst experiences of my life and i'm from california yeah so i saw them get the the bacon and it was pre-cooked little bacon slices which was a knock number one but i was like okay we'll see where this goes the egg they put in the microwave and it's just this gooey weird egg thing and i i I asked my wife, what, "Is this how normally it goes?" And I, she's like, "Yeah, this is this is a breakfast sandwich." And I said, "No, this is not a breakfast sandwich." So, when we went to New Jersey, I gave her a real breakfast sandwich, and she got introduced to salt, pepper, ketchup, and all that stuff, which is very important. So that's that's a big deal. Also, in New Jersey, people will uh, identify themselves from which exit there from off the parkway okay so eyeballs uh all right i'm gonna do my best to edit this episode but we seem to be running into some consistent issues here with garage band this is just shout out to road uh, with your Rodecaster XL, that's like $600 because I'm just going to have to buy the goddamn thing and I really don't want to do that because it's expensive. <laughs> no Black Friday deals. If somebody from Rode is listening, can like explain yourselves. Uh, Steve is going to do, as he's just done, is going to do an excellent job watching my computer screen behind me um, <laughs> to, to see when, when it pops up. This is going to be uh, somewhat of a choppy episode. So to the listener, I do apologize. Thanks for bearing with us. Um, and don't you worry, I will shell out the cash and uh, not pay my mortgage. No, just kidding. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, thanks for keeping an eye on that, Steve. So we'll have to go back through, but you, you grew up in Jersey, you did a year of college and then you came out to, uh, to Arizona state. Yes. So Arizona state, uh, majored in exercise and wellness. And that is where I met my wife and graduated from Arizona state. And after that, we lived in Arizona together in our first apartment for about six months, I guess it was. And she got a job in the Bay Area, California, and so did I. And we decided to move back to where she's from for a little bit. And from there, everything was going good. And one day, the lightning just sort of hit me and I said, hmm, you know what? I I think I might want to be a police officer and figured I'd give it a shot, talk Mm -hmm. to some people, uh, figured 
if it works, it works. If it doesn't, I can still be a CrossFit coach, personal trainer. And it ended up working out, and the rest was sort of and history. the rest is history, and here we are on a podcast with semi-functioning software. <laughs> um, so backing up to uh, to your time in Jersey, when uh, did you play any sports? So I wrestled, played a little bit of football, ran track. I think that's it. Recreation basketball. Recreation basketball. Okay. Okay. Um, part of, um, of this podcast is part of the reason it was created, as I was talking to you a little bit before the show, is just in the, in the wake of uh, the in-custody death of George Floyd. That's where I kind of got the wild hair to start a podcast and, and then talking to another coworker, Marvis who's uh, on, an, on an episode, uh, a previous episode. Um, and hopefully, Steve, you and I can spend some time um, talking about race and law enforcement. And you've got a different perspective. Um, it's like uh, Kyle Kinane says, we're not going to solve racism, but we're going to shave off some of the sharp edges. You've got sure. a different perspective from anybody that I've talked to um, because you are a, a, a black police officer from the East Coast. And there seems to be, um, in the minds of of the public and even in the minds of law enforcement officers that there's this, this big difference in policing between West coast cops and I'm counting Arizona in the mix and East coast cops. Sure. Can you speak a little bit? Did, did you have any, does anything in your mind stick out from, from you growing up in Jersey where you were like, yeah, that was kind of fucked up or like, no, I didn't have any issues with cops. And well, and, and also like when, when, how old are you? When did you grow up? So I am 32. Okay. So you grew up mid nineties into the early two thousands, basically right. just same as me. Right. I'm thirty. Okay. So, uh, yeah, just if you could speak a little bit to uh, to what, if any, interactions with with law enforcement were like. So growing up, I I know I I grew up very middle class, dead okay. dead center middle class. Sure, I sure. would say, and I didn't have any really big run-ins with the police. I mean, we had, kids had house parties and the cops would come. The usual stuff, like what you and I deal with right now. (laughs) Right, exactly, exactly. Um, There's a few times that sort of stick out in my mind that uh, I just will always remember. I remember me and some friends, we met up in in a library parking lot and it was late at night, just sort of a meetup spot. Hey, everybody come here and then we'll figure out what we're doing. And obviously, late at night, library's not going to be open. Sure. Sort of strange. It, in my policing brain, I say to myself, yeah, that, that's a little that's, odd. Yeah, that's something that it makes you go, huh. Right. So I'm sure someone called on us, and uh, the police came and asked for everybody's IDs. And there were some kids in the group that were a little, why? Why do you want our IDs and all that stuff? And I didn't think anything of it. They gave, uh, we gave our IDs, they ran our names, they said, oh, okay, you guys just head out of here, can't hang out here. So um, that that was probably the, the first big time that, that sticks out in my mind. And then one time when I was in college, I had come home, and I know I was at a friend's house pretty late, was driving back home, and was in the, on the main road of my town, and I think there was one, me and another car on the road. The car was in front of me, and cop car pulls out in back of me, turns on their lights, and I'm like, hmm, that's odd. Maybe they, 
they're trying to pull over this other car. So I pull over to the side. He pulls over, asks for my license and registration, insurance, all that stuff. I give it to him. He says, well, I saw you flick a cigarette out the window. And me, having never smoked, never. Sure. I said, no, that, that wasn't me. Maybe it was the car in front of me, I, but it wasn't me. And he said, no, I saw you flick a cigarette out. And I said, no, I, I don't smoke, so it wasn't me. And I I didn't mean it in a, a rude way or anything like that, just very matter-of-factly just letting him know it wasn't me. Uh, so he takes my stuff, comes back, uh, he's talking to me a little bit more, and I tell him I'm home from Arizona State and all that stuff. And he said, okay, well, you know, you ride along. And so I go home, and I tell my mom about that at the time, and she sort of looked at me a little strange, and she says, you know, I think you got racially profiled. And mm-hmm. I, I wish I remembered it more because it was just so innocuous to me at that time that to me it was just a mistake. Maybe he saw the other car do right, it. I wasn't right. necessarily paying attention to the front car. I was just driving, so maybe they did. Who knows? Um, but my mom really thought that 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 was that was something. And I, I like I said, I wish I remembered it more in detail to sort of get the vibe of what that cop was doing, and if it was that or if it was just a mistake. Because cops make mistakes. So. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So I don't. I don't know. I may or may not have put somebody into jail a couple of weeks ago who wasn't the person they said they were but that, you know it happens <laughs> it happens it not happens. that he didn't need to be in jail he, he lied about his id or about his identity which was yet another reason for him to stay in jail all there night. You go. so you know but uh yeah that was a fun phone call to get three minutes before i was supposed to go home no. um uh okay so uh you then you you moved out to arizona went to arizona state what'd you major in Exercise and wellness. Exercise and wellness. And as I did say in the intro to this episode, and I mean it, he's a damn handsome man and he's extremely <laughs> physically fit. Um, has, and it, what made exercise and wellness important to you? I've always been somebody that enjoys working out and that's, that's just something that I've always wanted to, I guess, pass along to people. I think it's very important just in life to be fit enough, I guess, to move through life without any uh, excess problems. You know, I've seen people that that can't bend over and pick up a box off the ground or go upstairs or get off the toilet. And that's stuff that you need to be able to do, I think. to get winded tying your shoes type of thing. Right, right. So that's just something that's always been important to me. And I've trained people from think the youngest was like four years old to 88 years old and and everybody in between professional athletes to normal people uh, billionaires I've trained some billionaires to you know high school dropouts and things like that so um, it's fitness is something that everybody needs everybody could use at least a baseline of fitness so it's always been very important to me to be able to pass that along yeah, that makes sense. I mean, especially looking at at law enforcement, I think we're we're learning more, uh, more and more as as t- just as time goes and science gets better. And it, I think people have known for a long time that physical fitness is important. You talked about Marcus Aurelius. That man probably understood that. Hey, my legions need to be physically fit because, hot damn, they've got to march from Rome to uh, you know the north of England exactly. and then fight somebody when they get there. So. 
uh, oh, and they also need to build a road along the way and put up all these, you know, these walls and these, these fortresses and so on and so forth. Um, and, and you're absolutely right. You go into our current profession in law enforcement and maybe, you know, your physical fitness isn't going to come into play from, uh, chasing a bank robber down an alleyway. But when that active shooter kicks out and you've got a, your adrenaline's already coursing through your veins like battery acid and you've got to get there, get out of your car, deploy your heavy armor. If you have it, um, grab your rifle. If again, if you have it and then you have to run to wherever that shooter is, cause that's our job. I don't know. You know, if you didn't know that that's part and parcel of, uh, of what we have to do. Um, and that may be when like, you don't want to learn right then and there, like, man, I have terrible cardio. And I'm, right. I'm not God's gift to physical fitness. Steve's biceps could eclipse my whole human form. Um, <laughs> I'm just over here flattering you. Don't worry, I'll buy you dinner later, too. Um, uh, but and, and I've talked about it before on the show about being uh, an asset versus being a liability. And, and we talked at the beginning about um, what's important, you know, within our, our career and, and being able to de-stress and being able to be physically fit. Uh, today's police officer really should be like, like a renaissance man, wouldn't you say? Or a exactly. renaissance woman. Uh, exactly. You've got to be able to to play that game of, okay, uh, I need to go from talking to this high school student about why they probably shouldn't be running away in the middle of the night, and then, oh, shit, i got to go do... CPR on somebody, right? Because our police cars are infinitely faster than fire trucks, and we're probably going to get there first somehow, some way. somehow, some way. Um, uh, and then you need to go back because you know uh, little grandma's got you know some suspicious activity in her neighborhood, and it turns out to be nothing. And and, and you've got to be able to work with that ebb and flow of of your day to day life. Um, you'd said earlier that the lightning bolt hits you to become a police officer. Tell me more about that. Well, I, I don't remember the exact day, but I remember that it, it sort of hit me that I am, I am a physically fit, uh, generally well-educated young man at that time. I guess I was 22. You're still young, Steve. I'm only two years younger than you. Don't <laughs> I turned 30 yesterday. Don't make me feel old. Please continue. <laughs> and I, I sort of said to myself that not everyone can do it. There's plenty of people that, that would love to be a police officer, that they have the heart for it, that they have the drive to do it, but they just can't do it for whatever reason, whether that be physical fitness or their background or whatever it may be. So uh, the, the thing, the word that sort of popped into my head was duty, that you sort of have a duty, if you can do this, if they want you, you have a duty to do this because you're able and you're willing and you have a good head, good heart, you'd be good at it. And so that sort of stuck with me for a little bit and then it's, it's pretty funny. Um, we went to the CrossFit Regionals in uh, San Jose back when they had regionals in every little region, the NorCal region was, uh, that was the, the San Jose regional. And there were two recruiting booths there. There was uh, San Jose and then there was uh, the, the 
police department that I ended up working for. And I saw both of those little booths and I said, huh, that's interesting. And I went and talked to the San Jose recruiter and I didn't even talk to uh, the department that I ended up working for because I said, I've never heard of that that city. And right. I don't right. even know where that is. I'm not going to go there. And, you know, big city to me, action and all that stuff, that seemed very exciting. So uh, that sort of got me in the door. And my wife's uncle, technically family friend, but uncle was a chief of police in the uh, Bay Area. And I sort of picked his brain and I said, hey, do you think that I would be a, a good person for this? Might this work? You know, what do you think? And he said, you'd be a, a great candidate for a police officer because at that time I sort of thought oh I might get you know maybe one off or maybe just get my foot in the door and then I can sort of uh, figure out where I want to go if I I end up doing well and and have a little more options later on and uh, it was pretty cool that at once I sort of got in the process I ended up being a not to toot my own horn, but a pretty good candidate in a lot of places wanted me, which was pretty cool. And uh, it just it just sort of snowballed from there. So um, it all just really worked out, which was cool. Good, good. What is a, uh, how long was your academy? 28 weeks. Twenty. Holy crap. 28 horrible I thought I had weeks. a long academy at 21 weeks. And I think now in Arizona, it's up to like 25 weeks. Was it a live-in academy? No, it no, was okay. not, thankfully. So where um, were you? Were you living in the Bay Area at that time, or did you have like a hell of a drive? It was about forty-five minutes. Okay. It was. We were in the, I guess, what would it be? The Peninsula, and my academy was in the East Bay. So uh, it was about a forty-five-minute drive. I'd get up at five o'clock every morning, and every morning I'd say to myself, "This is the last day. I'm going to quit. Yeah. I'm not going to do this anymore." Every single day of that academy, I said, nope, no more. Not after today. I'll figure it out. Just just go today, and tomorrow we can quit. Yeah. Every day, I got up and just kept going and kept going and kept going, and then it was finally over. Yeah. Well, and that, I mean, you know, there's a lot to that um, with that thought of quitting. I would venture to guess that just about everybody who's gone through a police academy, um, and, and probably I wasn't in the military, but probably similarly to a uh, you know, like a military boot camp or, you know, they get to a point where you're like, okay, do I really need the pension? Like, what else can I do? Do I have any other marketable skills? That's right. And you're sitting there, you know, holding the push-up position or sitting in an invisible chair or you're doing one more freaking run um, up up a mountaintop or up a, that whatever that hill is near your academy that, that's, right. that's just the ass kicker. And you're like, yeah, this is, there's, there's absolutely no way that this is going to continue to be worth it. And then, you show up that's and right. you just keep putting one foot in front of the other. And I think that's a big, you know, a big important thing for anybody listening who's considering going into law enforcement. Just understand that like Steve, like me, and probably like a lot of other police officers, you're going to consider quitting. Definitely. And I think that that's translated to the current climate that we're in, man. Um, a lot of cops are thinking about an exit strategy and a lot of cops are thinking about quitting. And then they show up and they polish their boots and they put their badge on and they put their gun belt on and they get in their squad car and they go back to work. Uh, how long were you uh, were you up in the Bay Area in law enforcement? Five years. Five years. And uh, within that five years, is it a, a small agency, mid-sized agency? 
So it was a medium-sized agency for the Bay Area. Okay. But it was, we had about 96, 98 sworn, so. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Um, and and you were on that agency's SWAT team, correct? Yes. Uh, if you could, just talk uh, to us a little bit about uh, what, what led you, because here you are, you know, growing up, law enforcement wasn't really uh, something that you we're going to go into and then, and then you got kind of that wild hair and, and that lightning bolt hits you. Um, and then you're in, you're in law enforcement and then what led you to go and become a SWAT operator? Well, I think growing up my whole life, I, as strange as it seems, I've, I've always had a, a bit of a, a interest in, I guess, superheroes and spies and commandos and special agents and special forces and things like that. I sure. remember I had 9 million GI Joes and all that stuff that was just a always an interest to me. You so and I would have been great friends in I, like third grade, I man. I can I can it. see it now. I don't doubt. We it. got a lot of time to make up for, so. <laughs> <laughs> so that just sort of went in line with that. I I was never a I don't think I could have done the military. I I hats off to anybody that's in the military does that that's I, I don't think I could do that but uh, SWAT was sort of something that just it, it had a, a pull to me uh, just I, I liked the idea of being I guess in the action for lack of a better term just if, if it's all going bad that's sort of where I want to be and I remember the the thing that sort of solidified it was um, I had a, a classmate in the academy, and we graduated. He, he worked for a different agency, and it was about a month after we all got off FTO. We all generally, I guess, got off FTO around the same time. Sure. And it was one of my off days, and I'm watching the TV, and um, actually, I think it was a little later than that. It had to have been a little later than that, because had, we had the kids, and... Uh, I was looking at the TV, and there was a shooting. And I said, huh, I know that agency. I have friends that work for that agency. And the news person started talking about the, the person that was on there. And uh, they had, I think they said they were off of FTO for X amount of months. And I said, huh, that's about how long I've been off of FTO. I wonder if that's so-and-so. And, -so. and I, I said, oh, I hope that's not so-and-so that got that got shot and sure enough he had gotten shot he it was like a suspicious vehicle call and he had gotten out his car the guy had gotten out of his car shot him uh in the head and he had enough wherewithal to be able to put out the description all that stuff um and he's he survived thankfully um but i remember the response of so many agencies going there and uh, at that time I was sort of our en a SWAT engineer so that's like SWAT support okay um, and I remember a few guys from our SWAT team went to uh, that city uh, to sort of help with with uh, the response so and I was texting the the TL the team leader at that time and saying like hey you know super new guy 
for whatever reason in my head, I'm thinking, yeah, they'll let me go and say, you know, oh, yeah, you that's emotionally involved in all this. <laughs> yeah, come on down and help out. So You're not going to make bad decisions right, or anything. <laughs> exactly. So I'm texting him saying, hey, whatever you need, you know, I'm willing to come down and help and do whatever it is. Um, but that sort of stuck in my mind that I... I felt very helpless at that time that I couldn't do anything, that I wanted to be there to help with that. And I knew that to be able to help with that was to be on the SWAT team. That's that's where you got to go right. if you were on right. the SWAT team. So that was something that I was like, okay, well, I need to be an operator. I need to be on the SWAT team to be able to help with stuff like that, to be in it when the big stuff happens. And, and that yeah, that sort of solidified it for me, so... And how many, how many years were you on, on SWAT? I was four years. Four years on SWAT. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, is there any that you can speak of? Uh, again, if this is your first time ever tuning into the podcast, generally speaking, um, with uh, a few exceptions possibly in the future, we don't really talk about the specific agencies that we work for uh, due to potential policy violations, needs for privacy and, and safety of officers, um, as well as privacy of, of the general public, because sometimes we'll come across stories uh, where somebody listening, if they knew where you worked, when you worked there, and what your last name was, or whatever the case may be, would be like, oh, they're talking about me? And then all, that's how you end up in a lawsuit. So <laughs> not speaking from experience, uh, I hope I never have to go through that experience. But is there anything, so you're in the Bay Area, um, did, did you spend... Uh, I mean, how many how many SWAT calls do you think your agency got on average in a year? It wasn't a ton. Um, just the, I guess, political climate of that area, the militarization of the police sure. type of thing. They 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 didn't want to use us as much as I think that we could have gotten used. And my old department, in general, a lot of the SWAT operators were on specialty assignments, so. Robbery homicide had to go find somebody. They already had four SWAT operators on that team. Plus, if they used sort of our vice unit, they sure. had three there. Oh, okay. So I gotcha. they would sort of mishmash together and use a team there. But on average for a year, I would say eight to ten. Oh, okay. Operations. Gotcha. So, and it's not one of those agencies where you're turning and burning doing, no, you know, I, hitting I two houses a night, you know, or, or having multiple teams hit a target simultaneously. I and, wish, but we, we ended up, we, we helped a lot with, uh, the U S marshals. Um, we helped a lot with other agencies would do simultaneous hits, one in their city and then one in ours, because we, we were sort of the, where people's baby mamas lived, where, people's families lived because we were close to Oakland. So bad guys were usually in Oakland and then they set up family in our city. Set up shop in your That's, city just across the, the city line type right, of thing. Exactly. Did uh did you have uh, many SWAT travels into the land of Oakland? Oh uh yeah. A lot of them. A lot of them. I mean even from a patrol perspective, we we would end up in Oakland Every night? <laughs> no, man. <laughs> I So I've been to San Francisco once, and that was quite some time ago now. It was like 20-some-odd years ago, uh, which is just depressing to say because um, <laughs> I'm just getting older. But I've never been uh, to Oakland. But Oakland has this 
a dark cloud hanging over it. Like, if you've never been to Oakland, you think that Oakland is the most dangerous place on the face of the earth. Like, you're like, let's see, do I want to book a flight to Oakland or to Fallujah? Well, right. that's a tough one. It, which one's going to serve peanuts? Like, right. Well, in, in Oakland, it's... It, it's everything that you've heard. Oh, good. And <laughs> and it's and it's not. It's okay. such a beautiful, beautiful, scary place. I okay. guess um, it has. People say the same thing about Afghanistan. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> it just has so much culture. Um, that's what I I sort of miss is that people from Oakland, people from the Bay Area, really. It's that it 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 has its own culture and sort of. I guess. Hopefully this is, I'm using this word right, but sort of a tribal, this is our place. Yeah, I I can understand where you're coming from with that, that Oakland is is in and of itself, it is an identity for the people that are are from there. Exactly. And so it's like when you hear what exit I'm from in New Jersey, you hear somebody's from Oakland, it's like, oh, okay, I know generally certain people. Uh, You you know, okay, I, I can talk, I need to talk to this person this way. I mm-hmm. need to, uh, these are the things that are important to this person versus if you're from Berkeley, Alameda, um, any of the surrounding places right. from Oakland. So it's it's just, it's a really cool area. I would suggest if you haven't watched Last Chance You at Laney College okay. on Netflix, uh, it, Laney College is in Oakland, and it gives you a real grasp of sort of the mindset of a lot of people from Oakland. And it's really cool, really cool to, to see how they are. So I would suggest everybody go watch that. Well, there you go. There's your plug for Last Chance You uh, <laughs> uh, on on Netflix there. I And I, Arizona's got a little bit of that. I, we left California when I was four years old. And, I, you know, I've got all my family there and whatnot, uh, aside from my parents. Um and so we would go back frequently and I would spend summers over there, but I never adopted any real California identity. Um, but I guess in, you know, in Arizona, you know that, I mean, even as far back as like, I can remember in high school, like if somebody was from Gilbert, well, they're probably Mormon. And mm-hmm. if somebody was from Scottsdale and they probably got a silver spoon up their ass, uh-huh. if somebody's from Sunny Slope, you're, they're going to fuck shit up because that's <laughs> just, you know, um, like you said, you, you figure out quickly, um, you have to, and I, I truly do, you have to talk to certain people certain ways. Mm-hmm. Um, I met a, a, a sergeant who was uh, at one time with a gang unit um, who said, you can't yes, sir, no, sir, everyone. Uh, but I've learned, again, work in some of the areas, even just within our city. And I, I mean, a lot of people would look at our city and be like, oh, well, what's, what's going on there? But if you work, uh, you know, on the west side of our city, there's a certain, you know, Right. And that that changes like street to street as far right. as how you talk to people, right? Because uh, you've got your your seedy motels along the traffic corridor, traffic king corridor, um, and then you know uh, less than a mile from that, you've got established neighborhoods, uh, middle class families. You get into to the eastern part of of our city with the the real old neighborhoods, and that's where you see some of your your gang activity. And then you get into the southern part of the city, and that's where your three thousand square foot houses are, and um, you know your your upper middle class to upper class be the gated communities so on and so forth and you have to be able to again you have to be dynamic you have to be that renaissance man or woman um in order to successfully navigate your way through through your city uh uh, so uh 
five years uh, in the Bay Area, four on SWAT. Did you have a function on SWAT, or was it just like, did were you guys like, okay, today you're going to be an assaulter, okay, tomorrow you're going to be a breacher, or was it, no, you are a breacher, you're going to go to breaching school, you're a sniper, you're going to go to sniper school? So we were pretty cross-trained in, in everything. Uh, if I had stayed there, it looked like I was probably going to go to sniper school, uh, but we were pretty cross-trained in everything. Usually on call-outs, I ended up being a grenadier, being able to deploy gas and things sure, like sure, that, sure. Um, and perimeter spots for that. Um, but we, we had a good grasp of a lot of things, which was pretty cool to me. Yeah, I would say that it's important for, you know, to at least at some level to have that cross-training capability that at the base level, everybody's an assaulter. Everybody's capable of going through a door and clearing a house. Right. But then you do, of course, need your your specialties that, you know, you need your grenadiers who are so familiar with their munition systems that they know, okay, well, if I want to get this CN or CS gas munition into that skylight or that gabled into that house, this is what I have to do. And again, you you know, your snipers, um, I would say if you want somebody to not get something wrong, it's probably your team snipers. And same with your, your breachers. Um, I mean, you know, it's not always as simple as smacking a door with a sledgehammer. Exactly. You know, sometimes there there is a science to removing a door from its hinges or at least getting it out of your way. And if that doesn't work, hey, you can always go through a wall. That's right. So um, so you got you're in the Bay Area. You're four years on SWAT. You're you're turning and burning. You're doing your thing. You're an established police officer within your agency. Um, your wife had a career out there, as I understand it, right? And Correct. You, you've got two kids, right? Correct. And are they twins? They are. God, God bless you, man. I, I've yeah. got just the one right now, and he's my kid is awesome, but it just makes me fearful of what the next one's going to do. So <laughs> I give people credit to say, "Hmm, I did this once. Let's do this again." Yeah, I, I don't think I would do that. Anymore. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. Um, I, I'm right there with you because, and it'll be like a day to day change, man. I'll be like, "Yeah, I can't wait to have another one," and the next day I'll be sitting there, one eye open on my fifth cup of coffee, like, "Oh my." Yeah. Why are we doing this to ourselves? Mm-hmm. Uh, to my children, if you're listening to this in the future, dad loves you very much. <laughs> um, what, uh, w- was it one sort of cataclysmic event? What led to you saying, you know what, I'm going to leave the Bay Area where I know what rain looks like and it's not 118 degrees and I'm going to move to Arizona? Well, we, like I said, me and my wife met here and we've always loved it here. We, probably every year would vacation here at some point for a little bit and just the the bay area's rising cost of living and things like that i mean we made so much money good money um both of us together but we couldn't afford to buy a house right and if we were going to buy a house we'd have to go so far out from where we both worked that uh, we'd spend time, so much time in traffic, and then it would get less worthwhile to even have the house type of thing. And um, it was it was really a tough, tough choice because, like you said, you know, we were we were both had very established careers. Um, I loved my department. I loved the people that I worked with. I felt as though um, my career was progressing as as I hoped it would. We would. Uh, I felt as though I was sort of in line for probably a lateral assignment in the next year or two. Um, Is that like into like a like a specialty like detectives? Yes. Or, okay. Yes. Um, either a detective or motors or something of that nature. And 
and my wife was loving her job and we just decided you know for the betterment of our family that we were gonna we were gonna move and that this would be the time because the kids were two three three ish and we didn't want to get them all established and things like that and then have to pull them out of school right right and um, all that so if it was going to happen then it was going to be that time i didn't want to be in a in a detective spot or a motor spot and and really have to say okay you know what i'm gonna leave that because i probably wouldn't have right um that decision just got it would get so much more difficult right so it was it was really tough um uh, I was worried that I was going to lose those friends at my sure. old department, you know, because the, their family, you know, uh, especially with a, a hundred person department, you know, I have everybody's phone number in my phone. I still do. And I knew everybody and I love everybody. And so that was, that was a, a tough, tough thing. And the, the people that I talked to, you know, they told me, Hey, you know, you do what is important for your family. It wasn't like I was, going to the department down the street to get more money. Right. Um, it was a move for my family, what I thought was best for us versus just, eh, you know, I want more opportunity or I want more money or whatever it is. Um, because definitely took a pay cut coming out here. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. But, uh, cost of living is, is so much better out here and, and we're so happy probably once a week, me and my wife say to each other, like this was a great, great move and we're so happy that we did it and happy we did it when we did um with everything that's happening in california right now so we're we're very thankful that we did it yeah yeah and you know you talk about cost of living that's got to be something that comes into a lot of people's minds and it's like well do i want to leave especially in a state like california where like you said you're making a decent amount of money i had a Mm -hmm. before i got hired at the agency that we work at um i had just started to to test i was going through college um and I'd had a, an invitation to come out and test for an agency along uh, basically the coast in central California. And it was, uh, oh, and if you bring me your bachelor's degree, super small department, it was, hey, if you bring me your bachelor's degree, I'll give you an extra 10 grand a year. I'm like, well, and when you're 20, right. that sounds like a pretty good deal. Mm-hmm. But it didn't take very long for me to start looking into it with my wife and be like, okay. At the time, she worked for a, a department store chain that there wasn't one in this town, mm-hmm. um, which is fine. My wife is extremely capable of doing pretty much anything she wants to as far as, as, as you know, career-wise. Um, but it was, holy shit, it's expensive to live here. So, and like you said, how far away do you have to do you have to live before it's just it's not worth it anymore? You right. know, I'm not I'm not going to have the seventy mile each way commute. That's just absurd. Right. Um, so you, you ultimately made the decision to lateral, um, doing it, as you said, for your family. Is that a, speak to the officers right now that are listening, that are looking around at, at departments as far as thinking about, okay, is it, is it worth it to go here? You you said that you and your wife once a week talk about how, how happy you are is, did you come out and do a ride along? Did you come out and find an agency that you wanted to work for? Or at least, you know, okay, here's, here's a handful of agencies. Let me lay them all out on the table type of thing. So I, I don't know how I, I got the sort of knowledge that there were a couple of agencies that were sort of, I guess the cream of the crop. Sure. Our current agency, agency that's right next to ours, um, city wise, 
um, were the two that I was really looking at. Yeah, and, Chief, if you're listening, there you go, sir. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, did a ride along with both. And my uh, wife's uncle, the former chief of police, um, he told me to think about now that you have experience, think about what type of policing that you like to do, uh, because that's going to be one of the most important things in choosing a police department. If you enjoy sort of running and gunning and running around with your hair on fire and call to call, then look for a department like that. Right. You wouldn't be happy if you went from that to, you know, okay, all barking dog calls. And, yeah. Or you go a night without a single call for service. Right. Exactly. So uh, that sort of stuck with me to see, make sure that I was sort of in the same ballpark, at least, um, calls wise and call type wise and things like that. Um, and just as a whole, at the department as a whole, having a more of an understanding of police departments in general, how they work, and uh, the culture, and I guess the, the long-term benefits of being at certain places versus others, um, I guess the, the department health, I guess you could say. Um, I didn't want to go to a big city because every big city that I've ever looked at, they're just sort of in shambles type of thing. Mm -hmm. uh, more problems than, than uh, more cons than pros, I guess, sure. I, I should say. Um, so and you're just a number for somebody like right, right. the chief of police doesn't know your exactly. name, which may be a good thing depending on the kind of police officer you are. But, right. but uh, yeah, to work in an, in an area where you know your squad, but if you went to a different precinct, people are looking at you like, who the hell are you? Exactly. So it was just, uh, I think that's the biggest thing that I would say to people is understand what type of police officer you are and be real about it with yourself you know if you don't like to go to calls and you might want to go to some place that's very uh, uh high high class is that yeah well yeah you're you're maybe you're mm, i might get a little bit of hate for saying this but your your higher socioeconomic statuses yes uh would maybe lead to the calls for service you do get are going to be the barking dog calls right. i had one Again, where I work is, and I've been fortunate to experience just about every geographic area that my our department has to offer, but where I'm at now, I had a call for service like three weeks ago. Uh, my neighbor is trespassing in my yard. Like, okay, tell me more. Well, he trimmed my trees. Like, <laughs> I'm sorry, what, like, did he come over and trim your trees? No, no, he trimmed, he trimmed the branches of my trees. Like, that's, that's not trespassing. <laughs> like, that. I don't take it up with your HOA. If you trimmed your own trees, he wouldn't need to trim your trees, like, <laughs> which is uh, a far cry from, you know, some people that I went to the Academy with that are working in Maryvale and Sunny Slope. And uh, for those of you not in Phoenix or, or, or Arizona, Maryvale and Sunny Slope, um, again, lower income housing, government housing, uh, your fair share of gang activity, um, sort of that, I don't know, your stereotypical sort of cop work, right? Mm -hmm. Like when you were watching cops, or live PD, they didn't go to barking dog calls. Right, right. They were finding people slamming heroin in an apartment complex laundry room right. and then chasing them for three miles. So. Right. Well, and that's that's what, maybe not to that far extent, but that's what I came from in the Bay Area. It was car chases every night. It was 
robberies, home invasions, um, foot pursuits, uses of force every single night. Cop shit. Yeah, yeah, it was what you would think of as police work. And I think I was very fortunate to go to start there and to come to our department mm-hmm. because I feel like I do have quite a bit of knowledge and experience in a lot of these things to be able to give and put forth and things like that. Um, I know we had the sort of protest and and possible riots, no riots, but possible riots. And it was sort of funny to me that people were talking about, well, uh, he's the only one that's actually had any actual experience <laughs> in any of this. In the- Look, you're the new guy, but you're not the new guy. So uh, here, take take charge. <laughs> right. So it, it sort of made me laugh that I've been here for a little over a year, and it's like, oh, yeah, he, he's actually got the experience. Like, I brought my, my shin guards out, and they're like, oh, that's probably a good idea. And I got made fun of for talking about, like, <laughs> hey, guys, we should probably go and buy. We're not issued knee pads or shin guards or elbow pads. And I was talking to him, like, well, shit, I'm probably going to go buy uh, knee pads and elbow pads. At the very, I've already had knee surgery once, mm-hmm. uh, and I, uh, it's not a fun experience. I don't look to recreate. And he looked at me and was like, you don't need knee pads. <laughs> like, hey, man, you ever had, like, rocks and bottles and pieces of reinforcing steel chucked at you like that shit probably hurts and i don't need to find out firsthand how damaging it can be that's right imagine people walk through the dark house and hit their shin on a table yeah it hurts imagine getting a rock thrown yeah yeah somebody does it on purpose that coffee table didn't look at you and go i'm gonna fuck your shit up (laughs) that coffee table just existed your dumbass tripped into it in the dark that was me last week pretty sure i broke my toe um but whatever i'm still at work (laughs) so um do you think that, uh, you, I mean, you said a little bit of it just now, but going to, to your patrol, being the new guy again, uh, you ended up on Graves. Mm-hmm. Uh, weekday or weekend Graves? Um, so it's, what is it? I guess we have kind of a combination. Yeah, Wednesday through Saturday. Wednesday through Saturday. Um, and having worked graveyards for two years, uh, and because that's, spoiler alert, when you're the new cop, you're probably going to end up on weekend Graves or at least graveyard shift of some you know, uh, schedule or another. Um, but do you think that, I mean, did it take very long for your teammates who, who are, some of them are newer officers to look at you and go, nah, this dude, he got his head on straight. I think it took a little bit, which I, I understand. Um, I, I would feel the same way. And I felt the same way when someone new came to the team that you sort of say, okay, you know, you show me what you got, you know, this, this job is not for everyone. And there have been people that have come and and tried it and said, oh, no, this, this job isn't for me. Um, at my old department, we had someone that came from another department, from the um, correction side, detention side, and started working the streets. And people thought, oh, well, he's got a, a good head on his shoulders and started working the streets. And he said, oh, no, this, this is not what I want to do, and, and went back. So... I understand that that people definitely take a step back and see, okay, what is this guy about? How does he do his work? Um, is he is he heavy-handed? How does he talk to people? All that stuff, which is definitely understandable. But I think pretty quickly uh, everybody saw that I generally had a good idea of what I was doing, and I think... The nice thing was police work is 
generally police work. You know, you're you're going to encounter the same, I guess, 10% of the people, 90% of the time, no matter where you go. So you're going to deal with the same stuff, whether it be in California or Arizona or New Jersey or Florida or Chicago. It's all the same type of thing. It's just the the name of the laws and how you book people and uh, certain procedural things that you just have to get used to. And that's that was my main thing was just figuring out, okay, well, I need this form and this form. And then, okay, this is a felony, so I need this form and that form. Right. And then we take them to this and then fingerprint them this way and all that type of stuff. So it was just... Uh, procedurally it was it was a learning experience but it, it was pretty easy to get back into it and it sort of made me laugh to myself because when we first got here me and an, another guy got hired from out of state um, we were in the training unit for a month studying for our post waiver and I thought when I was coming over, I thought, oh, man, I'm going to just love not being on the street. And because most of my career has been on graves because I, I wanted to be on graves. And I thought, oh, man, I'm going to love sleeping normally and having weekends off and not having to deal with BS calls and things like that. But probably a weekend, I missed just that sort of banter back and forth yeah, with, absolutely. with bad guys and sort of they know that you know, but how are you going to prove that you know what they know and they have something that you need to find and how do they keep you from finding just that whole cat and mouse thing. And I was like, oh man, I need to get back on the street. And we, we were able to do a little ride along here and there during our little training period. And I would find myself sort of interjecting myself in and talking to people and catching myself saying, oh, you don't have a gun. You don't have any handcuffs. You can't do anything right. about this. You need to stop talking to this person. <laughs> Steve, Steve, not now. Not now. <laughs> yeah, the uh, I had a guy, uh, I don't even remember what it was, but I looked at him and I was like, man, I asked you this already, and you're lying to me. And he looks at me and goes, I'm not going to do your job for you. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, well, fair enough. You're still going to jail. But, you know, like, again, they understand. I can, I can at least respect uh, a criminal that understands the game. Like, Oh, yeah. Like, you know, and perfect example was, was the other night uh, and stopped these two dudes for shoplifting, uh, like right at the doors, basically. Uh, and I was by myself just for the briefest of moments, maybe, you know, ultimately maybe two minutes. Um, and one guy, and I ended up talking to him later, he was like, nah, like, you caught us. Like, it, it is what it is. Like, I'm, I'm done. I knew it. Like, I'm not going to fight you. And his buddy decided to make the other decision. Um, but, you know, it, it, again, I can at least respect a criminal that goes, all right, fine, you fuck it, you caught me. Like, yeah. I guess that's that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, more so than the people are like, you caught me, but you got to earn those. You, you want to put those handcuffs on, I'm going to make you earn it. Right. Um, and and with with that, you uh, you spend a lot of time. Uh, your your personal fitness has sort of, would you say it morphed into your love of jujitsu or did, did, were you doing personal fitness and martial arts kind of all, all at the same time or? So, I and s- it is jujitsu, right? Yes. Ju- okay. Yes. So I started, well, I guess I dabbled in it a little bit in New Jersey when I was younger and here and there. 
and then really got into it in college. And um, like any delusional uh, young adult, I thought, oh, well, I could be in the UFC and all that stuff until I <laughs> got punched in the mouth once. And I was like, no, it's no. the great equalizer, man, I, getting punched in the face. You get punched, right. If you've never been hit in the face once, I encourage you to give it a try. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, I went to one sparring class and got hit in the mouth once. And I was like, no, no, I like just just jujitsu. That's better. And so I, I did it for probably two years in college and then life sort of happened and got my real job was a, a strength and conditioning coach and CrossFit coach and things like that and then moved to California and then always had it in my mind that I, I enjoyed it a lot just the 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 I hate to say the consequence of it even if you're working out and running or lifting weights or whatever those weights can't hurt you um, jiu-jitsu you make a mistake you know somebody can in theory choke you unconscious sure. or break your arm or leg or knee or whatever um, so there's little consequence to it uh, so I always missed that and followed it still um, and then once I got into the police academy I said you know what I'm going to get back into it and then once I got back out on the street and out of FTO when I had my own free time again I got back into it and pretty quickly I remember in FTO when I hadn't been doing jujitsu for probably a couple of years, but still, you know, once I tell people this all the time, once you have a little bit of jujitsu training, it sticks with you. So, um, during FTO, there was a, um, I'll say a, a, a man experiencing, um, a mental breakdown, okay. uh, at a mall in California and we had to go and, and I forget how it happened, but I ended up grabbing him, and he ended up going to the ground, and I somehow stood up, and he was trying to bite my shoe. and Like you do. Yeah, like truly gnaw on my shoe. And so I'm doing a pretty common jiu-jitsu move, knee on belly. So I'm, I'm basically just kneeling uh, sort of on his, on his side and moving around, um, you know, keeping pressure on him but having one leg on the ground so I can balance and keeping him there but not hurting him and he's moving and I'm moving and my FTO sort of standing there like they do sometimes just to sort of see what you're going to do. <laughs> Selling tickets and popcorn. <laughs> right and uh, I'm just sort of you know cool as a cucumber just hanging out and he's tiring himself out and eventually he just sort of gives up and lays there and I put handcuffs on him and by that time probably five other officers had gotten there and they're all standing around just sort of seeing what I eating the popcorn right yeah. and they're like oh good job and it's just jujitsu to me is one of those things that just goes hand in hand with police work it's so simple and easy and helpful and um, just a, a great thing to learn so I don't know if I answered your question but yeah well and I so in Similar to you. So I, I had taken martial arts when I was a little kid. I did karate. You know, mm -hmm. it was like my thing I wanted to do. And I think I did that for you know, three or four years or whatever. Um, maybe a little bit less than that. Um, and then once I got into college, though, I wanted to uh, to try out. I discovered Krav Maga. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I, I got into Krav Maga and did that for about a year with a buddy of mine. 
Uh, Brett, if you're listening, I haven't forgotten when you almost kicked me through a plate glass window, you bastard. Because <laughs> um, he was doing Muay Thai also at, oh, at the yeah. same time. And so he had a additional skill set that he was bringing in, whereas I was coming into Krav Maga like, um, you punch somebody? Okay. <laughs> um, but I, I will say that I somebody had once told me, who it was a jiu-jitsu student um, who used to work for our agency and, and is now since retired, and he's like, you know, um, my concern with Krav Maga is that it doesn't look good on camera. And I didn't really like that, like that reasoning. I'm like, well, I don't give a shit. Yeah. Like, what I care about is that I go home at the end of the day. Right. But what I will say with jujitsu versus Krav Maga is that Krav Maga does look, um, and 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 it is exceptionally violent because mm-hmm. that's what it was designed to do. Yeah. Um, whereas jujitsu, again, you're you're just like you like you, the situation you just described. Like, you're not really tuckering yourself out too badly and you're not just raining blows on this guy's face you're not breaking fingers or mm-hmm. you know need a groin need a face like you're just okay like nope just hey easy there little fella like right. tire yourself out um whereas there are parts of me that still and as you said it sticks with you and i would say to a point it's a perishable skill but again you fall back on your lowest level of training right and that depends uh how much training you received it was after after my time where i just said where my buddy kicked me through the window it was like two years later i picked up krav maga again mm-hmm. um, and did it for maybe another year or so and then it just got so damn expensive um it was like a hundred bucks a month type of thing and, oh yeah uh, and in a, as a college student with rent to pay you got to really do you know it's not a hard math equation yeah um but there are times where and i don't fight people regularly i don't make myself seem as some billy badass but the times that i do like you can tell that that you're reverting back to like no you're not going to hurt me I will hurt you and I'm going to end this. Uh, but damn, if this ends up on YouTube, I'm probably going to get talked to. <laughs> um, and so I can definitely, you're, you're not the first person to, to recommend or, or speak highly. I should say of jujitsu. Mm-hmm. Um, I think my brother-in-law, uh, teach it like at one time taught jujitsu. He's, oh, wow. he's his department's DT instructor and, and for good reasoning. Um, cause I, the DT that you, the defensive tactics that you get in your year, you know, in-service training sorry to tell you guys this is not enough right right. just like you need to fire your handgun you know you shouldn't see cobwebs and shit fly (laughs) off of your handgun because that's the only time of year that you shoot it um do you have a uh do you have a a gym that you uh prefer if you want to give them a shout out if if you don't want if you don't want to you don't have to but yeah well aries jujitsu in in mesa uh i've the Owner Paul Nava, I've known him since I was in college, and and uh, we have a lot of law enforcement that goes there, and and would love to have more. We'd love to have more people in general. Sure. Uh, so, uh, you know, people are, I would say, welcome to come, and, and there's, but there are plenty of jujitsu gyms in the area, as long as people are doing something, whether it be lifting weights. Or, running or jujitsu or krav maga or muay thai it's all important right i'm a huge proponent of of fitness and defensive tactics um everybody has their thing that they say is most important i say that when you go hands-on with people that's the most important thing hopefully fingers crossed um you know most of us will go our whole career without having to shoot someone. Um, but 
I would venture to say that there is no one that will go their whole career without having to put their hands on someone. Oh, absolutely. So that is very important that you have a general idea of knowing what you're doing. So, um, and speaking to, you know, things that look good on camera versus not, uh, you know, my, uh, get on my soapbox for half a second. By all means, that's what this is for, man. <laughs> this whole platform is a soapbox. <laughs> um, you know, a lot of times there are these things that don't look good on camera. And I've, I've read lots of people sort of say, they, I'm going to butcher the phrase, but basically, uh, ineffective force looks like, uh, excessive force. And, you know, if you, if you're going to punch someone, punch someone really hard one time and they go down and then you put handcuffs on them versus punching them really softly 67 times, um, that looks pretty bad. Um, if you're going to take somebody down, pick them up and drop them down on the ground and then put them in handcuffs versus, you know, playing ring around the rosy, trying to hold on to their hand and swinging around. And then the other guy comes and grabs on his shirt and then they both run away and it's... It, there are plenty of videos out there that um, are worst case scenarios where I, I, I watched one the other day where two cops were trying to arrest a guy on an ATV and he was next to the ATV. The ATV was tipped over on its side. Um, the guy makes it back to his feet while the cops are holding on to him, writes the ATV back onto all four wheels with the cops still on him, gets onto the ATV with the cops still on him, starts to drive away on the ATV with the cops still on him. There are things that they should have done to kept that from getting right. to that point right there. Um, and and a lot of times it's people, A, not knowing what to do, B, being a little afraid of doing what they think they need to do because of how it looks. Um, but I've seen, I have haven't been there, but I've been around times where guys have tried to pull people out of cars and they're in the car and people drive away with them mm -hmm. in the car um you know people getting run over by cars uh, it's just not a good situation so just know what you're doing use the force um that you know that you need to use and it, it'll get handled later on so that's again my my little soapbox. Well, no, by all means, man. Uh, I'm I'm happy that you went on that soapbox. I've had, you know, I, I was again. I, I hesitate to call it a fight because I've only really had like one true like I'm punching them, they're punching me. Like that to me is a fight. The right. rest they're like wrestling matches. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and that's I mean, what ninety ninety five percent of all right. like police fights end up on the on the ground. Um, and. Yeah, it was a couple months ago. Um, and again, I, I'm right there with you with the ineffective force looks like excessive force. Um, and I need to do more, you know, I'll have to attend a jujitsu class with you. Uh, Please cause, do. Because I need, I need more on my end because um, I, I revert back to like the same, like, you know, old dog, old tricks type of thing. Um, and generally speaking, the way that I handle situations has worked. Mm -hmm. Um but twice now at the same facility rhymes with small Mart. Uh, <laughs> one dude, uh, only after I took him to the ground. And again, it was because I allowed my partner officer. We, we split up right. Large big box store. You're looking for one person who's concealing I, in an ideal world. When you tell somebody you're under arrest in an ideal world, they're going to say, okay, 
and they're gonna put their hands behind their back and you're gonna handcuff them with no issues and you guys are gonna sing songs all the way to the jail and everybody's gonna be happy um that just does not happen every no, now and then not. every now and then sure you do find somebody who as i said earlier i have a respect for criminals who understand when the gig is up and every now and then you're gonna find somebody who's like okay mm-hmm. i'm all done um but usually it's because maybe they've had their world rocked by a cop who did jujitsu. Exactly. Um, but it was only after I was tussling with this dude that I realized that the whole time he'd been armed with a fucking flathead screwdriver. Mm. And like that can kill you, right? Sure it's can. it's a it's a very pointy instrument that was like eight inches long. Like that would go into my brain, into my heart, and I was pissed at myself for just not recognizing that. Mm. And for ending up on the ground with a dude armed with a screwdriver. Mm-hmm. And he ended up having, I think, like four screwdrivers on him. He was prying open boxes. Uh, he he told me later, hey, I had no intention of stabbing you. I just, like, I didn't let go of it. And then you chucked me to the ground and my hand hit and my hand flew open. He goes, I promise I wasn't going to stab you because I did have words with him. Uh, it sounded a lot like, you motherfucker, you were going to stab me. Um, <laughs> and it was later on after everything had calmed down. It was like, hey, man, I wasn't going to stab you. Like, I'm sorry. I just had the screwdriver in my hand. And it, I don't know that I believe him. Right call it weird um and then <laughs> criminals lie what what <laughs> yeah and then uh and then yeah last week um the dude that listened and his buddy that that didn't want to um that turned into a like a tug of war between him and i until um you know he i used his own he was tugging backwards and i did one of those like you tug backward and then i'm just gonna go into you right. and then pushed him into a wall and it was then he was like all right well shit i'm i'm done mm-hmm. but Again, you and you should look back at those moments and go, "What could I have done differently?" Of course. How exactly. could I have done that? Could I have waited for a backup officer? I, mm, I, my backup was still driving to me at that point, so I don't know that I could have just waited for more officers. And yeah. um, the the employees of that store, I, I can't count on outside people to come to my assistance. Right. I'm sure there are plenty of people out there that would. And I've seen, you know, we've all seen the videos of of John Q public coming to the rescue of, of law enforcement officers, but right. that's not something that you should, you shouldn't have that one in your back pocket. Like, exactly. and I choose you John exactly. Q public. Like that's not, you need to be able to rely on yourself and that's your, your consistency and training needs to come in. You need to have your defensive tactics. You need to know how to shoot a gun because yeah, I'm right there with you. You are going to put hands on somebody potentially every day mm-hmm. depending on the agency of the work multiple times a day right, right. you may you're going to drop one person off at jail who just got into a little donnybrook with you and then you're going to go to the next call and you're going to fight somebody all over again that's right um, and it's important to uh be able to handle those situations should you ever god forbid you ever do i i want to go 21 more years of law enforcement career. That's when I'll hit my 25 and mm-hmm. I can, you get your, you, know, you get your little pen and your shadow box and you can retire off into the land of sunshine and, and whatever. Um, uh, but in the event you need to pull a firearm out and use it, you shouldn't be sitting there going, uh, can I make that yeah, shot? I hope I'm going to make Hope this. I'm not going to hit somebody I'm not supposed to. Um, I've only ever experienced that once and it was very surreal. Not, not the questioning thing. Um, cause while a lot of people focused on defensive tactics and, and weightlifting, I'm a gun guy. I would, I will go and not right now cause ammunition's really hard to come by. Thanks a lot, oh, Joe Biden. Sure um, <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, uh, to be up on, on a rooftop looking at some dude who had been shooting at us and you're sitting there like, Holy shit. I may have to kill this guy. Yeah. That's not the time where you want to go. 
okay, wait, what do I do? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, right, front sight. Mm-hmm. Front sight focus. Okay, <laughs> got it. Uh, what? Oh, oh, yeah, breath, you know, breath control, mm-hmm. trigger control. Um, and then uh, as far as going around and learning how to talk to people, I don't know that I'm sure there are public speaking classes that people can can get into, but that's a whole, I mean, we could do a whole podcast on how not to talk to people. Right. <laughs> you know, that's, a, that's a whole two-hour thing in and of itself. Um, I think... I think we're coming to the end of it, Steve. Man, I, I really do appreciate you coming out. Um, uh, and on short notice, no less. I mean, you only had about two weeks for me to for me hitting you up and being like, "Hey, we work together." I know you and I probably don't know each other, but we do work <laughs> together. Do you want to come out and speak? Um, uh, so again, man, I do appreciate the hell out of you coming on the podcast and of and, and uh, giving your two cents on things. Uh, my last thing, and again, I, every guest gets two of the same questions, and my last one is always, "You've got a microphone to the world. What do you want to say?" Well, I guess I would say, you know, what has taken many, many years for me to grasp, uh, but has made an immense impact in my life is, hey, everybody, you know, take responsibility for your life. Uh, Take responsibility uh, for everything that goes on in your life, even if it, you have no control over it. Uh, Don't freak yourself out over things, but you have so much more control over things than you think. If you decide, you know what, I want a house, um, you have control over that. You have a way to do that. If you want a better job, you have control over that. You can, you know, um, go back to school. You can take classes. You can apply to jobs, uh, as little as that. Um, Just take responsibility for your life. I think Generally, for me, in this job, when I see things go awry for people, it's usually the ones that say, oh, why are you doing this to me? Or uh, look at what has happened to me. Um, This is why uh, these things are happening. It's never, oh, well, I shouldn't have drove drunk, or I shouldn't have hit that person, or I shouldn't have um, done whatever it is. Um, So... That, that's just my, my main thing, and that's one thing that I try and do, one thing that I'm trying to instill in my kids, even though they don't understand it being four years old. Uh, it's still very important. So uh, take responsibility, love each other, um, and enjoy your life. Yeah. You only get one. Yeah, this is, this is all we get, folks. Uh, I mean, we're not going to go down the road of reincarnation. Again, I'm no expert on, on, uh, on that subject, but, yeah, be accountable. Mm-hmm. for your actions don't be afraid to be held accountable the most uh i mean i had uh, a guy i work with uh, on a sister team got pepper sprayed on a traffic stop you saw the email that came yeah. out about that um and i don't know if it was the next day or the day after is when my team finally came back to work because it happened on my weekend and i have an immense amount of respect for that officer because he sat at the front played his body worn camera footage and talked about this is where i went wrong this is where I went wrong and just laundry listed everything that he could have done better. Um, and it's like, I tell people it doesn't even have to be that extreme. Uh, if you ding a, a squad car, own up to it, man. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's fixable if you come across it honestly exactly. and, and immediately. Exactly. Um, where you run into issues is when you're, Oh yeah, I don't know that, that I don't know how that got there. Like, mm-hmm. don't be that guy. And not even for cops. I tell people when I pull them over for speeding, right. I work a traffic enforcement detail every now and then as, as, as time 
allows. And, and as you know, people complain, Oh, Hey, you know, we're getting a lot of speeders on this street. So I sit there with my LIDAR. I pull people over. You know what I was, I, you're right officer. I was doing 60 and a 45. I was doing, yeah, I was going way too fast versus whoa, what the hell are you doing pulling me over? Like, mm-hmm. don't you, don't you want to go catch real criminals? <laughs> like really? And like, no. And the person that I respect more, who's a little, little tip is more likely to get off with a written warning as opposed to a citation. Um, and I don't write attitude tickets, but I'm more, more inclined to maybe go, okay, you know what? 15 miles an hour with the posted speed limit. I'll give you a warning. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but the person who goes, you're right. I was wrong. And, exactly. and I, and just in general, right. I mean, you say that to your wife or your, your husband or your spouse, holy shit, watch your world change, man. Yeah. Like that open communication. Um, and like I said, at the beginning of the podcast, when I talked to that dude on that, that call for service, who he may have imagined it going one way because he's got three white police officers standing in his living room. And I just looked at him and was like, hey, man, what can we do better? Yeah. Don't be afraid to ask that. There seems to be this, you know, like, oh, I don't want to talk to people about it. It's an uncomfortable subject to talk to people about. Absolutely, it's uncomfortable. Yeah. If it's uncomfortable, that means you probably need to fucking talk about it. Exactly. You're not going to you're not gonna solve any problems by dancing around uh, uh, issues, you know, that are out there. So if you're... I, I guarantee you that you will change somebody's day uh, to those of you listening. If you go over uh, to somebody and go, how, you know, Hey, how can I do better? I ask my supervisor. Now it is something that I have decided to do uh, for the duration of our time together. As our year comes to a close that at the end of every week, I go over to her and say, okay, you've had four more days to watch me work. How can I do better? It's great. That, idea. And that, that doesn't need to stop just because you have 10 years on or 20 years on. And it's, you know, you can go up as a senior officer and you can look at a, a junior officer and go, okay, hey, I did that wrong. Like that call didn't go the way that it should have. What do you think, man? Right. And and get their take on it. It's a fresh set of eyes, I guess. So, but again, we'll travel down the rabbit hole. So uh, again, Steve, thanks for coming on the podcast, man. To everybody, uh, thank you so much for listening. Uh, wouldn't Wouldn't be doing this if I didn't have... Uh, the whole two listeners on the podcast app. And I'm sure there's a few more uh, on the other. Somebody asked me last week, Hey, how many listeners do you have? And I'm like, I don't, I don't actually, I don't actually know. I never really thought I'd need to, you know, I don't do this for the, the, the listeners and the status behind it. It's just, right. it's just the way that I decided to, to contribute a little bit, I guess. But um, by all means, those of you listening, we're on the podcast app, uh, iTunes and uh, Spotify. I need to get on iHeartRadio. I think that's just the next sort of, a hill to get over and at some point in time whenever i put this cabinet together i will put up a, a camera and we'll get it onto youtube because i've had a couple people ask me about that i have the camera i have the youtube channel i just don't have any content yet so that is all in the works i've got a scheduled change coming january 18th uh heading up to the detective bureau so once i it'll it may, you may have a few weeks of radio silence from me guys but uh once i figure out and get my get my feet underneath me uh after about a, a month or two then then we'll be right back with that same content that you've come to know and love hopefully if you have any suggestions uh you can email me bluelinemillennial at gmail.com uh that'll remind me to check my email and uh follow me on facebook and instagram again uh direct messages uh, completely open to those. I will do my best to respond to all of them. Um, by all means, if you've got suggestions for me, hit me up because that's the only way I'm going to improve. So with that, thank you all for listening and uh, stay safe. We'll see you on the road.